Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program about all sorts of things to do with motoring and transport. I'm David Brown. This program and extended segments of the interviews are also available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And in this program, we look at news stories from around the world, including the EU policymakers seek to make electric transport a priority. We have stories about two new car releases onto the market, both are small SUVs, although one is a luxury model, the Lexus NX200T, and one a more affordable package, the Renault Capture. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including a randy elephant takes his frustration out on a car. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. In a discussion paper for a single energy plan across the European Union, the European Commissioner is calling for electric vehicles to be a high priority. Attempts to increase the share of biofuels to reduce emissions from transport have foundered a little after research showed the early biofuels could be worse for the planet than conventional transport fuel. More sophisticated biofuels, which do not cause rainforest clearance or fight with the food supply, are still far more expensive than conventional fuel. Advocates of electric vehicles say that provided the electricity is from renewable sources, They are a better solution to decarbonise transport, which accounts for about a third of EU fuel use. Currently, the transport sector is almost entirely dependent on fossil fuel. Roundabouts are often seen as an efficient way to handle traffic at intersections, but road users have not always been comfortable in how they are to be used. Now Norway's Ministry of Transport wants to curb the construction of new roundabouts in the Scandinavian country. The Ministry wants new main roads to have no roundabouts and they also want new roads to be located outside large settlements to avoid having to have speed devices such as speed humps. Small roundabouts were introduced from the United Kingdom into Norway in the early 1980s. There are now more than 2,000 roundabouts throughout Norway. The Hyundai Sonata has scored a 5-star ANCAP safety rating despite stricter conditions to get the coveted top rating. The Suzuki Celerio received a 4-star rating as it lacked some vital safety features required to earn the top rating. However, the Celerio will not be sold on the Australian market immediately. After two British car magazines experienced brake failure in test cars, Suzuki Australia has held off selling the cars here. There has been a lot of coverage of the consequences of driving while texting or talking on a mobile phone. Now Singapore has now made it illegal for drivers to hold onto any type of mobile device while driving and this includes a phone or a tablet. Previously, only calling or texting someone on a mobile phone was barred. And the penalties are harsh, including the possibility of jail time. First-time offenders can be fined up to $960 and or jailed for up to six months. Repeat offenders face up to $1,920 in fines and or up to 12 months in jail. The legislation does not appear to address the use of technologies such as Google Glass. Texting while driving is said to increase the likelihood of having a crash by 23 times, while just dialing a phone increases your risk 2.8 times. 
Transport for London and London councils have given the go-ahead for a London-wide ban on any truck not fitted with safety equipment to protect cyclists and pedestrians. In a public consultation, the proposed Safer Lorry Scheme received 90% support. All roads in Greater London except motorways will be covered by the scheme. It will require vehicles of more than 3.5 tonnes to be fitted with side guards to protect cyclists from being dragged under the wheels in the event of a collision, along with mirrors giving the driver a better view of cyclists and pedestrians around the vehicle. Heavy goods vehicles are disproportionately represented in cyclist fatalities in the capital, although the numbers are relatively small. Of the 14 cyclist deaths in London in 2013, 9 involved heavy goods vehicles. Talk of autonomous cars is all the rage in the car industry as a way of improving the driving experience of everyday users on the road. But now a robotic vehicle is aiming to help the wine industry. The University of New South Wales researchers have equipped a vehicle with cameras and robotic technology to help Australian wine producers better predict the coming grape yield, knowledge that could save the local industry as much as $200 million a year. The car can be driven along rows of grapes to collect the information necessary to accurately estimate yields earlier in the season, potentially before the wines even begin to bud. The researchers are six months into what is expected to be a three-year project. And that has been the news. It's been a long time coming, but Lexus has finally got a petrol engine with a turbocharger. It's not a sporty coupe, but rather it's a small SUV, the NX200T. The other NX model that has been around for a while is the hybrid NX300H. They say they haven't got into turbos because they've been focusing on hybrids. 31% of Lexuses now sold are hybrids and their CEO, Sean Handley, says that there is no reason why they shouldn't go to 50%. Still, let's talk about the turbo. On the line, we're lucky to have Ken Gratton from carsales.com.au. Ken, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, David. Now, this is only the second engine specifically developed for Lexus. Yes, that's right. It's uh, it's quite an interesting engine, actually, David. It's uh, it's embraced their uh, uh, what they call indirect and port injection. It's uh, D4ST is the code they use. It's basically an engine that has its cake and eats it eats it too. It, it, it's uh, it sort of uses. Uh, indirect injection for or the port injection for low speed, low torque uh, or high torque uh, uh, power delivery, and uh, direct injection gives you the efficiency at higher revs. Uh, it's a very clever setup. Yeah, it's clever, isn't it? It's using just a lot of technology in one engine, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's uh, it's basically you can see how it, how it works out. It's developing 175 kilowatts of power of 350 newton metres and uh, all of this from a two-litre four-cylinder engine, that's admittedly a, with a twin-scroll turbocharger. Yeah, that's a lot for a uh, small SUV, isn't it? It definitely is, yeah, for sure. I mean, a, a two-litre engine is pretty good in itself, but a, a you know, pretty good uh, turbocharger on it uh, uh, adds to that uh, at the best of times. It needs yeah. 95, Ron? It does indeed, it's, uh, which is the only shortcoming, but in this kind of market segment, that's, you're looking at that anyway, 95 or 98 premium ULP. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right there too. Six speed automatic, a good one. Look, it is a it's a pretty smooth unit. Uh, I actually think that a lot of its competitors these days are running eight speed automatics, and I do think that despite the fact you've got this very good power delivery, this strong mid range surge of power, it could do with those extra two gears. Uh, you find that uh, from launch it's a little bit slow, a little bit uh, disinclined to get away, basically. So, uh, you know, an extra couple of gears wouldn't wouldn't go astray. But what they've done with it is, is a pretty good effort. Uh, they've got the uh, lock-up torque converter from second gear right through to sixth gear, which is what a lot of car companies are doing these days. Uh, Mazda have done something similar with their Skyactiv uh, uh, automatic transmission as well. Hmm. Yeah, it just makes for more fuel efficiency, doesn't it? They don't That's get get the inefficiencies of a, a typical uh, automatic gearbox. That's exactly right, and that's I mean the gearbox and the turbo motor. Are obviously, uh, it's an indication of how the world is headed. That uh, we're downsizing engines. We're moving from six cylinders down to turbo four cylinders. It's a common thing that the Europeans are starting to do because of their upcoming emissions legislation, hmm. and uh, obviously Lexus is following suit. It looks big to my mind, and it's certainly got a prominent nose. It is. It's. Uh, I guess you could call the, the style confronting. I don't think everyone's going to like it. I have to say, I think it looks better in the flesh than than in the pictures. Uh, I actually quite like it. it. It's kind of it breaks the mould for Lexus. It's it's not bland by any means. Uh, some people will love it, and some people will just think it's a bit overwrought. I'd say. Particularly for the F-Sport model, it has a very big and strong grille, doesn't it? That's exactly right. Yeah, Mm. that's the major, I think, apart from the alloy wheels, that's probably the major distinguishing feature, uh, the F-Sport from the, the other two variants. Mm, yeah, it, uh, I saw. Uh, you're right. I saw it on the ads on television. I thought, gee, that's a big nose. But uh, I think in the flesh, it's not quite as um, uh, it, protruding as it might it might look uh, in the pictures. I think uh, it's going to be it, interesting. To, sorry, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Lexus and and their corporate styling in a few years from now. Will they stick with this large spindle grille, or will they sort of trim it down a little bit, as they have done, or has has been the case with the the RX, the current RX, for example. Hmm. I think that they might find that people might welcome it a little bit more if it's not quite as if you'll pub expression in your face. <laughs> yes. Uh, the dash. How did you find the dash? Look, to be frank, I found it a little bit busy. It's it works pretty well for the most part. Uh, the, certainly, the the instruments or everything's very clear and easy to read and. Uh, unlike a lot of the European competitors, uh, you've got the indicator and wiper stalks on the correct sides of the steering column. Everything's quite easy to grab and, and reach. Uh, and, and one of the lovely virtues of Lexus is that it's, they're always easy cars to drive. You can just get in and drive them without having to read the manual and, uh, and, and study it for 20 minutes. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I do find, though, that I think that center fascia uh, is, is quite busy and quite, you know, to be frank, it's a little bit odd. It, uh, it protrudes it's a, into the space, doesn't it? Yes, and, and the way it's kind of stacked in layers, it, yes. it does, as I say, look quite busy. It, it reminded me of like a condo units that are stacked up with one <laughs> level just a bit set back from the next level, which is set back from the next level. Exactly right. Ken, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. No worries at all. Thank you, Dave. And that's Ken Grattan from the carsales.com.au website. And we were talking about the Lexus NX200T, and you can hear a longer version of this by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au.
Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. The good news for Renault is that it has just launched a new small SUV onto the market, the Capture. The small SUV segment is the quickest growing SUV segment in Australia, with sales up 16.5% in 2014. The not so good news is that there's an increasing competitiveness in the market segment. Nissan Qashqai and the Honda HRV are recent new models in the less than 40,000 part of this market, while Lexus NX and the Mercedes GLA class are recent luxury editions. Uh, in this segment, the top-selling Hyundai iX35 sold nearly 18,000 cars last year. So how does the new Renault Captur fit in? To tell us all about it, I have on the line Paul Murrell from practicalmotoring.com.au. Paul, this is uh, based on the Clio platform, isn't it? Yes, it is, David. It's uh, based on the Clio station wagon or estate platform, and we don't get the estate here. So, yes, that's the... That's the basis of it. It's very much an urban crossover vehicle, is how uh, Renault uh, portray it. I think that's a very clever, a very intelligent way to portray it. I don't think I'd be calling it a serious, a serious SUV. Hmm. Um, I mean, really, to all intents and purposes, it's a, it's a Clio station wagon, a little bit jacked up. Hmm. It, it actually looks quite good, I thought. Uh, um, it's uh, got that sort of almost uh, fast back, a little bit of slope into the back of the uh, the, the roof line a little. Uh, fairly prominent nose, but otherwise, overall, I thought it looked quite good. Oh, I think they've done an excellent job with it. I mean, the French, the French, as I said, it's French and it's chic. Um, it's interesting that in this category, people are going to buy very much on appearance. Uh, there's not a lot to pick between most of the cars in the class. Um, they're very close on specification, price, and and fittings. So it'll come down to which one you like the look of best. Mm. And, of course, as with particularly, for example, in this category, the Nissan Duke, mm. um, personalization and, and, and bespoke, making the car bespoke, is a fairly important factor. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking of the Duke as you said that, which, to my mind, is a bit of a goggle-eyed little car, but uh, undoubtedly very distinctive in its looks. Yeah, I think we have to be very careful. Um, you know, beauty is in the, the eye of the beholder, and every time I <laughs> criticise a car for looking ugly, someone says they love it. So, <laughs> so I'm very cautious to, about criticising style and, and, and design. I had I had a young cousin who looked at the Duke and loved it. Yeah. Um, uh, it was perhaps perhaps I'm significantly older. Perhaps that's the point. Price is very important, isn't it? Uh, what do these uh, uh, Renault uh, Captur goes for? It's interesting you pronounce it Captur. That's the way I pronounce it too. We both obviously have some French background. <laughs> um, the local pronunciation, of course, is Australianized it fairly severely to Capta. Hmm. So almost like K A P T A. The price, David, starts at around twenty two starts at twenty two nine ninety plus on roads. And that's for the quite small nine hundred CC three cylinder version. Hmm. And then it rises from there you go into the one point two litre four cylinder motor. Um the the nine hundred CC motor is only available with a manual and the two uh, the larger motor, the one point two, is available with automatic. Hmm. And it goes right up to the uh, dynamic 
uh, at uh, what's the top of the range price for that? Um, it's about twenty seven nine ninety for the mm. top of the range, but once you start adding things like the zip out seats or the or the op- the contrasting coloured roof, um, mm. you know, there are a fair few options there that can push that. Probably, I would think you'd get close to or just over thirty thousand dollars. You mentioned a little engine, the the small one, three cylinder. Uh, it's certainly not one with a lot of power or torque. No, we're learning. It's well, the car's not really designed, I don't think, for you know long distance travel. It's very much, as you said, is an urban SUV. Mm. Um, it's it's not over endowed with power. Um, is a nice way to put it. Um, but it would do around town, it's fine. And, of course, if you get the small engine with the manual gearbox, it's quite a nice combination. Hmm. Uh, even when you move up to the 1.2-litre engine with the automatic, it starts to feel a little It starts to feel a little, a little wheezy. Um, okay. So, yeah, so it's surprising. We have to learn to cope with sort of tiny engines now with fuel consumption and emissions controls and whatever. Um, it's, it's the way of the future, really. Yeah, if you're, if you're touring in the country in the small-engined one and you put your foot down to accelerate, uh, you've really got to think about swapping back a few gears to try and get a bit of uh, oomph out of it. Yeah, you very much need to keep it in that uh, sweet spot between about 3,000 and 5,000 revs. Hmm. And, of course, these days, with, I mean, that, according to Renault, they expect that the small entry-level one will, will get 60% of the market. I'm not too sure for 60% of their sales. I'm not too sure if that's correct because mm. these days people all want automatics. Mm. Paul, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. Lovely to talk to you. As Paul Murrell from practicalmotoring.com.au talking about the Renault Capture, spelled C-A-P-T-U-R. It's a new small, medium si- small size SUV. And you can hear a longer part of that interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. it's that time again where we wander on about a few subjects pontificate about the unusual stories to do with motoring and transport and once again i'm joined by brian smith g'day brian g'day david and errol smith g'day errol g'day david uh errol you're going to lead us with the story well this is a safety message really for drivers of silver mercedes sedans keep your distance from large animals as apparently that kind of car does things for them that you really wouldn't expect. Uh, like in Thailand, where a randy elephant took out his uh, frustrations, shall we say, on a poor Merc driver by uh, rubbing itself up to the car before ripping off the bonnet. Um, I guess that's the uh, elephant equivalent of, you know, ripping off the clothes. Um, it's, it's not really the kind of foreplay you expect, but um, each to their own, I guess. <laughs> this is uh, now the authorities for the sanctuary, which is home to at least 300 wild elephants. They've urged visitors to take extra care in the mating season when the bulls become aggressive. What do you do? Try and look ugly. I <laughs> don't have a car that looks a bit like an elephant. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. Is this something you could advertise? Cars as attractive to elephants? Well, this is uh, the other week we were talking, of course, about those targeted uh, ads. I think this is a very targeted advertisement 
certainly um, <laughs> it's, making it it's making things very, very clear. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you do uh, if, if uh, you're in the car or if you're in another car and this is occurring? Do you do you just sort of toot or avert your eyes and try well, and drive around? Well, they say you do not flash your card lights. I guess that's like a flirtatious wink for, uh, for, right. for an elephant. But don't, don't honk. Don't honk, yeah. Yes. Uh, do not take photographs. I suppose they mean flashes particularly. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was just a privacy thing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> elephants are very self-conscious. <laughs> I wonder, David, whether, um, you know, the car had uh, been through before and, you know, the driver hadn't called and, you know, elephants <laughs> don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, keep your engine running is another hint. Uh, w one of the things they did say is they're thinking of imposing a curfew restriction on motorists driving through the uh, night uh, there. So I guess you've got to look out or keep away from elephants on a night out. Yes. Mm. And, 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 and I mean, uh, avoid braking because the, the red lights just do it for them and <laughs> yeah. get them going. <laughs> What do you think, David? Like a stag night, you know, yes. a bunch of uh, you know bull elephants, NRL players out on the rantan, <laughs> stay stay well away, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, the thing of I think, uh, I think they need some safety slogans. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I think they need some safety slogans. I mean, one of the suggestions they say is when you see an elephant, do not honk. Well, I should. I think they should say, you know, do not honk, or you might get a bonk. <laughs> yeah, don't trumpet, perhaps. Uh, trumpet. Uh. Yeah. Now, David, do you remember those <laughs> old days of uh, of the African wild lion safari? Do you remember that the African lion safari yes. in Sydney? You drive your car there and and see the elephant. Uh, sorry, see the lions up close, and sometimes they just sort of climb on top of a car. It was quite amusing, wasn't it? Yeah. To keep your hands well inside. Yeah, have um, to be very careful. Uh, the other thing is I wonder about what design would be particularly appreciated to uh, an elephant. I guess it really looks rather humpy. I reckon an old FJ Holden could be very dangerous in driving, driving through an elephant thing. Okay. You know, yeah, sort of rounded, sort of humpy shape. Yes, yes, the eyes, the large yeah. mirrors, the large wing mirrors. Yeah. And you don't want a small vehicle like a smart car or something that could be mistaken for one of those circus... Um, little sort of seats that they they balance on, or a vehicle filled with clowns. <laughs> All right, now, what is in fact the ugliest car on the road? Well, I've got to tell you, there's one here that doesn't come much uglier than this. The Zijing uh, Quinyan Armoured Spherical Cabin Electric Patrol Vehicle. It's de uh, debuted at the Security China Show in Beijing last month, and, a and it it's been uh, reported on that reputable journal, Car News China. Uh, some people have suggested that it's a bit like Buckminster Fuller's interpretation of the Pope Mobile. Now, of course, Buckminster Fuller was a uh, futuristic architect who had things like those biosphere domes. Geodesic domes was his mm, thing, wasn't it? Yes. Mm. All those angled surfaces. And hexagonal windows, like on this. Yes. This just reminds me of, this is like the Chinese Homer car. 
I, I thought exactly the same thing, Errol. The car that Homer designs, that that uh, the sort of everyman car. It looks so much like it with the kind of a, a, the bubbly thing on top. It's um, I think uh, the idea is interesting, but uh, is there any indication that the police would use something like this? It just well, looks comically ridiculous. Well, there's, there's several things there. One is that it would only fit two people into it. Now, to my mind, it looks like a push-me-pull-you car, the front Mm. bonnet sticks out and so does the back about the same and they they look almost mm. uh, uh, fairly similar with this angular cabin that sticks out of the top i think it looks a bit like the old suzuki x90 on steroids Do you so perhaps those? you can't tell yes. whether the thing's going forward or back yeah yeah now yes, it, it's, that's it's a kind of kind of camouflage isn't it yeah, well, the the police. So if you can only put two people in it, but you've got a big boot, I don't really see what that's really going to do for police. Oh, well, that's where, the, that's where the suspect goes. Oh, okay. So, you know, they mind your head sort of thing that yeah. they do as they get the perps into the car where you just sort of bundle <laughs> them straight into the boot, Robert Allenby style. <laughs> now, police officers can fire their guns through slots in the door windows and smoke grenade launchers can be mounted on the front fenders. Um, now, see, that's very aggressive, isn't it, David? I mean, uh, wouldn't you prefer to describe, you know, they might be able to wave friendly through slots in the windows, um, yes. you know, possibly hand out stickers to well-behaved children, yes. um, rather than sort of shooting and, and smoke grenades? It's a little bit aggressive and assertive, I think. I, said, I think the crowd... The- the crowd control, the way that this works, is just people are laughing so hard when they see it <laughs> that, that they true. calm down. They're very easy to catch, you know, because they're rolling on the ground laughing. Yes. Some, some said the smoke grenades they use would be just a way of hiding the car. Yeah, so <laughs> just hiding their embarrassment at driving it. Cut down on the mockery. Yes. Well, an unusual, an unusual car and uh, certainly uh, quite distinctive in its looks and I've got no idea which way is forward and which way is back. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, maybe that might uh, become popular for some p- particular police forces. All right, gentlemen, all, as always, it has been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. No worries, David. That's Errol Smith and Brian Smith talking some quirky news to do with the subject of motoring and transport. And if you would like to hear a longer uh, version of that segment, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au.